Please turn to the New Testament and the the Gospel according to Matthew. And in Matthew's Gospel, we're going to read from chapter 28 and verses 16 to 20. So Matthew chapter 28, reading from verse 16. This is God's word. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always. To the end of the age. Amen. Turn now please to the Old Testament and the book of Numbers. And in Numbers we're going to read from chapter 6 and verses 23, sorry 22 to 27. Numbers chapter 6 reading from verse 22. This is God's word. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons saying, Thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So shall they put my name upon the the people of Israel, and I will bless them. Amen. And we trust that God will follow the public reading of his word with his blessing. Have you found yourself in recent days saying something like this? Things are getting worse and worse. What a strange world we live in. Where would it all end? I have said things like that in the context of Brexit and COVID and Ukraine and climate change, woke ideology, double-digit inflation, the war in Israel and Gaza, and then when it just keeps on raining. Or a combination of the above. You see, the world in which we live, well, it is not an Edenic paradise. The world in which we live is much more like a wilderness. But this is where we are. Or rather, because we are pilgrims, this is where we are passing through. And it would be terribly easy, given the nature of the world that we are passing through through, and our own troubles, to be like Israel and to grumble about it. Because that is more or less the first thing that Israel did when the people left Sinai and began their journey through the wilderness to the promised land. They began to grumble. Because, of course, the wilderness is not an easy place to live in. And we do much the same thing. We grumble 
and we complain and it is not good. God willing we'll see this evening what grumbling and complaining did to Israel's national life. We will see that grumbling and complaining corroded the life of faith that God required of Israel. It corrodes the life of faith that God requires of us. And so this morning, I want to offer you a remedy for this common complaint. And this remedy is the very same remedy that God gave to Israel. And this remedy is found at the end of Numbers chapter 6. And it's this, the promise of blessing in the wilderness. Not just the promise of blessing, but remembering the context. It's the promise of blessing in the wilderness. In Numbers chapters 1 to 4, God enlists Israel's army, arranges Israel's encampment, and enrolls Israel's priesthood. Then in chapters 5 and 6, God gives Israel instruction about four areas of religious and moral purity that the people were to foster. And all in preparation for Israel's entry into the wilderness and through the wilderness into Canaan. And then at the end of chapter 6, God gives command about the blessing that Aaron and Aaron's sons are to pronounce upon the people. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you. The Lord be gracious to you. Sorry, big pardon. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his face upon you and give you peace. And that blessing was to abide upon the people in the wilderness. And had they attended to it, they would not have grumbled and turned back from Canaan. The same blessing is upon us, albeit refracted through the gospel. And so we also are to attend to the blessing and to understand the manifold favour of God that rests upon us during our pilgrimage. So let's begin to attend to the blessing. And we start with the source of the blessing. The source of the blessing is the triune God. The source of the blessing is the triune God. Listen again to the words of benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance or his face upon you and give you peace. And then God says to Moses, so shall Aaron and his sons put my name upon the people of Israel. And I, and the original is emphatic, I myself will bless them. You see, God is the source of the blessing that Israel was to enjoy in the wilderness. And what a reassurance this ought to have been to the people as they set off on the journey to know that the Lord himself was with them to keep them. 
And that when they came into the land of Canaan, the Lord himself would guarantee their victory in battle and the subsequent peace that they would enjoy in the land. God himself was with them to bless them. And it's not just any generic God who blesses his people. The Bible is so careful about God's identity. The Bible never gives way to polytheism. The Bible never acknowledges the the false notion that there are different gods and that the God of the Bible is really just one among many, albeit the best of them. The Bible never gives way to the notion of pluralism, the notion that all the religions really serve the same God, and the God of the Bible is just the same as the God of Islam or the God of Hinduism. So it's not just any generic God who places his name upon Israel, but it is the Lord, the uncreated creator of all, the God who called Abraham, the childless man from the idolatrous city, and gave a covenant to Abraham. And the God who confronted Pharaoh and who made a mockery of the so-called gods of Egypt. And then who delivered Israel out of Egypt with mighty signs and wonders. He is the only true and living God. It's what Psalm 115 sings about. First of all, the psalm dismantles the pretensions of the new gods of the nations. Gods that have no voice, no sight, no movement, no being. And then the psalm asserts the power of Yahweh, the Lord, to bless. The Lord has remembered us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, both the small and the great. May you be blessed by the Lord who made heaven and earth. See, this God and only this God has power to bless. And what he blesses is truly blessed. Because he blesses, he blesses us out of the fullness of his triune life. Notice that the divine name, the Lord, written in capitals, is named three times in the ironic blessing. This is one of those occurrences when God's triune nature is hinted at in the Old Testament. The Old Testament doesn't reveal God's triune nature, God reserved the revelation of his triunity to the time when the Father would send the Son and then the Father and the Son would send the Spirit so that the revelation of the Trinity is, properly speaking, a gospel revelation. It's a revelation reserved for the New Testament. But the Old Testament contains a number of foreshadowings of the Trinity. And here is one of them. God blesses his people out of his triune life. And we know the fullness of that. Listen, for example, to the opening words of Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus. 
Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. You see, it's God the Father who blesses us. These blessings with which he blesses us, they're all treasured up for us in God the Son. And the blessings themselves are spiritual, which is to say they're all communicated to us by God the Holy Spirit. The source of the blessing is the triune God. And this shouldn't surprise us. Because just as God commands Aaron to place his name, the Lord, upon Israel, so God's triune name was placed upon us in our baptism. That's why we read from Matthew Matthew 28. The name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit was placed upon us. One divine name, one divine life, and three persons placed upon us in our baptism. And since God's triune life is necessarily fullness of life, it's of his fullness that we have received blessing upon blessing. See, the Father loves the Son and he gives everything to his Son. And the Son loves the Father and resides in the bosom of the Father, as John chapter 1 verse 18 puts it. And he looks into the face of the Father and because he is the Word, he knows his Father perfectly. And then the the Holy Spirit is love proceeding in person, From the Father to the Son. And here is perfect love and communication in God's triune life. And it's out of that fullness of life. Then God blesses us. Now to be sure in the meantime we are in the wilderness. This is where we are. And things are never going to be for us in this world the way we want them to be. But this God is our God always, always to the end of the age and into eternity. And he's not a religious fiction, but he is the living God who pours his life into his people. And so aren't we blessed? All things are ours, and we are Christ's, and Christ is God's. The source of the blessing is the triune God. That's the first ingredient to this anti-grumbling remedy given to us in Numbers chapter 6. Then the second ingredient is the content of of the blessing the content of the blessing is the gospel the content of the blessing is the gospel israel has promised that the lord will keep you that the lord will make his face shine upon you that he will be gracious to you that he will lift up his face upon you and give you peace and these are specifically Gospel blessings. 
When God shares his life with us in the wilderness, that sharing of God's life necessarily takes the form of the blessings of the gospel. And I want to pick out just two of these things for us to think about. There's the first thing that we're told about in the blessing and the last thing that we're told about in the blessing. But we're going to take them in the reverse order. So first of all, the gospel proclaims peace. Peace. God is reconciled to us. This is absolutely the bottom line of the gospel. It's the last word of the ironic blessing. And it's the first thing that the Lord Jesus said to his disciples when he came to them on the evening of the day of resurrection. Peace be with you. And before ever that peace can mean personal well-being and flourishing, it has to mean peace with God. It has to mean that our sins are forgiven and that God has reconciled himself, reconciled us to himself. And we really do have this blessing. Because it's not wrung out of God. God isn't an unwilling party to peace talks that are negotiated by his son. Not at all. God himself is the God of peace. So important. It's repeated again and again in the New Testament. Romans 15.33, Romans 16.20, Philippians 4 verse 9, 1 Thessalonians 5.23, Hebrews 13.20. God is the God of peace. And so God delights to bring us into a condition of peace with himself. His face shines as he does so. He lifts up his face towards us. You know probably that when you are out of sorts with somebody, even if it's just the smallest niggle, when you're out of sorts with them, it is very difficult to look them in the face. It's very difficult to catch their eye. You don't want to. You avert your gaze from them. You find ways of looking at their shoulder or the wall behind them, or anything else in the room but them. Well, with God, there is none of that aversion of the divine gaze. God lifts up his face towards us. He looks us in the eye. And as he does so, his face is bright and sunny, and he wears a smile. He is full of peace because he's the God of peace. And then he communicates that peace to us. And it's then, out of that real spiritual peace with God, that all of our personal peace and flourishing arises. Think about Israel. Israel was going to go into the land of promise. 
And in the land of promise, that peace that God bestowed upon them in the ironic blessing, it was going to take the form of grain and olive oil and wine and children and community security. But that outward peace was just the overflow of the real spiritual peace that the people had with God. And in the same way, the peace that you have with God through the Lord Jesus Christ overflows in you in the fruit of the Spirit. Your personal growth as a disciple, your increase in godliness, the deepening of your understanding of all that God has done for you in Christ, the strengthening of your faith, all the good works that you're enabled to do, all of this and more, is the overflow, is the result of the gospel blessing of peace with God. And just as the sun shone down on the promised land to make it fruitful, so also in the gospel, God shines upon you, lifts up his face towards you, and you are blessed with peace. And then you're also kept. You're kept. That's the other aspect of this gospel blessing that I want us to think about. And it's the first thing that we're told. Israel was on a pilgrimage from Zion, sorry, from Sinai to Zion. And on the way, the people were going to pass through an arid land and they were going to meet with opposition. So the question that would naturally have arisen was, are we going to arrive safely? The answer in the ironic blessing is, yes, you are. Because the first word of God's blessing is, the Lord will keep you. The Lord will keep you. These are words of benediction. They're not just a wish. Aaron isn't to say, well, may the Lord keep you. But rather, this is a pronouncement. Words of benediction. And God's benediction does what God's benediction says. The Lord will keep his people. That is how the psalmist understood it. We're going to sing Psalm 121. As the people go up to Jerusalem, they sing, He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is, at your, shade. Lord is your shade on your right hand. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. So all sorts of difficulties are going to try to knock you out of the way of life. Physical, emotional, mental, relational trials. Because this world is not Eden. This world is a wilderness. And on the way, you're going to be tempted to make that massive category mistake. And to think that this world is a, is a paradise. This is Eden, is what the world will say to you. And you'll be tempted to settle down here and to forget about heaven. 
Well, as you meet these trials and temptations, what confidence do you have that you're going to overcome them and that you're going to pass through the wilderness and you're going to arrive in Canaan? What is your confidence? Well, your confidence must not be in yourself. My confidence cannot be in myself. As I know my heart, I have no confidence in me. Don't make that mistake. Don't think that you can keep yourself, but remember the benediction of God. The Lord keeps you. The Lord keeps you. And no one can snatch you out of the hands of the good shepherd. John chapter 10, 28. And no one can snatch you out of the hands of his father. John chapter 10, verse 29. You're guarded says 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 5. You are guarded by the power of God through faith unto salvation. And so you don't need to be anxious about anything. Because in committing yourself to God, the peace of God guards your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. And you have peace And you are kept. So the source of the blessing is the triune God. And the content of the blessing is the gospel. Two good ingredients to this anti-grumbling remedy. And the last ingredient is the mediator of the blessing. The mediator of the blessing is the Lord Jesus Christ The mediator of the blessing is the Lord Jesus. You see, these great gospel blessings of peace with God and security in time and eternity, they come to us very specifically through the Son of God in his office as mediator of the covenant. Look again at Numbers chapter 6, verses 22 and 23. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, Thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you, and so on. So it's not just anybody who pronounces this blessing upon Israel. And it's not the congregation corporately that pronounces the blessing upon itself. It is quite specifically the high priest and the high priests who will come after him. It is Aaron in his official function as a man charged by God with responsibility for the religious purity of the nation. He's the one who pronounces the blessing. And you want to imagine Aaron or Aaron's sons coming fresh from having made the regular morning or evening sacrifice in the courtyard of the tabernacle. The priest comes to the a curtain that covers the entrance to the courtyard of the tabernacle and he opens up the curtain and he faces out towards the encampment of Israel around the tabernacle and he lifts up his hands and he pronounces these words of benediction given to him by God for the people. Because atonement has been made, peace has been restored and blessing is now bestowed. It's the work of Christ as the mediator of the covenant. We sometimes speak about the finished work of Christ, 
by which we mean his cross work, his work of redemption, work which was done once and for all time. And now that it's finished, Christ has sat down at the right hand of the majesty and high. His sitting down, his posture, testifies to the fact that his work of redemption is complete. He's now at rest. But in another sense, he still has work to do because he is our Aaron. He's our high priest. And as our high priest, he exercises a ministry of intercession on our behalf in the presence of his Father. He prays for us. He prays down upon us the blessings of the gospel so that God keeps you and God works graciously in you and God leads you into the enjoyment of his peace precisely because of the high priestly ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ in heaven. Without Aaron, Israel would have had no ironic blessing to sustain the nation in the wilderness. And without Jesus, we would not know the blessing of the triune God to sustain us on our pilgrimage through the wilderness of this world and into the paradise of the world that is to come. But we do have him. And in him we are blessed and we are sustained. Or are we? Because there is a sense in which the blessing is conditional. It's worthwhile noticing that as soon as Israel entered the wilderness, as soon as Israel entered the wilderness, the very first thing we are told is that the people complained in the hearing of the Lord about their misfortunes. This people that had been redeemed from slavery, that had been brought into a living relationship with the only true God, that had been given the very word of God, the living oracles of God, who had been organized as the people of God, encamped about the pavilion of the great king, and who had a high priest to bestow divine blessing upon them. This people, what did they focus on? They focused on their difficulties. And what did they do? They complained in the hearing of the Lord. They didn't believe. They didn't believe in God. And because they didn't believe, as the book of Numbers will go on to show, they lost the blessing. The blessing of the triune God, the blessing of the gospel, is received through Jesus Christ by those who believe in him. And if we are kept by the power of God, well, we are kept by the power of God through faith. And if that is so, then we most certainly have a duty not to grumble, but to keep on trusting in the triune God, this great God, who in infinite mercy has shared his own triune life with us. So here we are in the wilderness 
And we are tempted to complain. But we have a massive remedy for grumbling. In the blessing of Almighty God. So receive his blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his face upon you and give you peace. Amen. Let's bow in prayer. Living God, we come to thank you that you who are a God of great patience, the one who abounds in steadfast love and faithfulness, the one who maintains your love towards us and forgives our iniquity, our transgression and our sin. You are the God who, have, who has given yourself entirely to us without reservation through Jesus Christ and by the Spirit. And we thank you that you've given yourself to us to be our blessedness and reward, not only in heaven, but also here on the earth, while we continue to live in this present evil age. And so we ask that you would indeed bestow this blessing upon us, that you would sustain us, and that you would sustain faith within us, that we may never be like Israel, grumbling in the wilderness and turning back from the land of promise in unbelief. So glorify yourself in the work that you do in our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.